All right, just before I get into the message this morning, just a little housekeeping. So last weekend, we had another candidate come. His name is Mike, his wife Ellen, and their little son Max, little cutie. And after a week of talking and praying and seeking the Lord, we really felt that Mike was not a fit for us here. And so we just want to pray a blessing on Mike and Ellen and and ask God to guide their steps. We know that he has a place for them somewhere. It's just not Hinton Alliance. And uh, as discouraging as it was to hear the Spirit kind of moving in that direction, uh, a couple of the elders mentioned in our conversations, you know, it's okay. God is somebody for us. And so we just got to wait, just like we just sang. We got to wait. He'll guide us, and we'll find the right person who will fit this church to a T. Okay? All right. So, Father, we thank you for that experience. We pray for Mike and Ellen this morning. And uh, we just ask for your blessing on them as they seek your face. We pray that you would heal them and work in their lives and lead and guide them and that you will have a place of ministry, a spot that's perfect just for them. And so we just lift them to you. And we lift this whole process to you, Father. It's in your hands. And we're thankful that when we bow our heads and listen carefully, you speak. We don't always like what you say, but we always agree it's the best. And so, God, we just ask in Jesus' name, that you'll guide us as we step forward into the future, looking for another pastor for our church to help us in the caring and and looking after of all the things that are happening because of your gracious hand. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's get into the word here today, carrying on with our series on prayer. How's your prayer life going? Is, uh, Is it being helpful? I mean, are you finding inspiration from these messages on prayer? Are you finding instruction? Uh, I hope so. And my prayer is for that, as me, for me as well, that God will instruct me and guide me. I always feel like I can learn more. I can pray deeper. I can pray differently. Even through this uh, time of fasting and prayer, I have noticed that there's something unique that's happened to me that hasn't happened before whenever I fasted. And that is I was beginning to learn something called wordless prayers. Have you ever heard of that? Wordless prayers. And it's, it's all about, I guess in the, you could say, rap, defining it, it's all about just being in his presence and knowing it. That was good. At first, it sounds like silence from heaven, though. At first, you get a little panicky, like, oh, God, am I missing something? Is there sin in my life? Am I doing something wrong? Are you not speaking? Do you not want to talk to me? You know, it's, is there something wrong with me, really? I know there's nothing wrong with you, but there's something wrong with me. And I just finally ran out of words to say you know, it was, like God, it was like God just sort of waiting. Okay, keep going until you're finally out of your words. And I had a vision uh, while I was wrestling through all of this of Cheryl and I driving to Edmonton in the car, no sound, silence. And I wasn't uncomfortable. Imagine if I was just uncomfortable with silence between child. I'd be thinking, oh, I've got to talk to her. I've got to say something to her. I've got to get a conversation going here. You know, I'd be worried, I'd be fretting, I'd be stressful. But no, we, we just relaxed. In fact, you, you really don't even notice it, really, until a moment like this where you got, you're reflecting and God says, that's what I need between you and me, just a little silence. Shut up. <laughs> okay. And uh, it, was a, it was a lovely experience. I'll be sharing more of that tonight with, uh, with the evening service, but uh, that's, that's a freebie from this morning. Question. Is it possible to see Jesus 
and yet completely miss seeing him at the same time? Is it possible to see Jesus and yet completely miss seeing him at the same time? Jesus seemed to think so. In Mark chapter 4, he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, and he says, They will ever be seeing, but never seeing. Interesting. Our pride, our agendas, our desires, our own issues can cloud our vision. They can keep us from seeing Jesus in the midst, in our hearts. A perfect example of this is Judas. Three years, Judas hung out with the Creator. Three years. At one point, a little curtain opens, and we realize after Judas complains about somebody bringing some expensive perfume into a setting, and he says, well, that should have been sold, and the money given to the poor. But then the commentator of the book says, but he didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. He was a thief. Another unusual thing was that he was with Jesus all that time, and nobody knew that he was a thief. Nobody knew that there was something suspect about him. That means that when they went on their missions trips, Judas was right there with him. Judas was involved. You know, nobody was, there's no mention of anybody going, what's wrong with Judas? What's up with him? No power? Nobody noticed until the very end, after he hung himself, after he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's when the dawn lighted. Here's a man who spent three years, imagine it, three years watching Listening, learning, practicing, being involved. He was the treasurer. Dave, thanks for being our treasurer. <laughs> I could not resist, my brother. I think we need a hug after that one. <laughs> I need to hug that one out. Uh, and yet, he missed Jesus. How is that even possible? How? Well, his heart was clouded. His heart was full of money. He was greedy. There was something blocking his vision, even though every day he woke up and saw Jesus. That scares me just a little. Does it scare you just a little? What's blocking your vision? What gives you Judas syndrome, I call it? Bad vision, blindness, blindness, though every day seeing. Well, how do we protect ourselves from being like that? How do we protect ourselves from not seeing Jesus. Well, Elisha had a good idea. Him and his servant were sleeping overnight in a small town, and during the night, an army surrounded that town. And so Elisha's servant got up the morning to 
go get some fresh wood for the, for the morning breakfast. And when he stepped out, the town was buzzing. We're surrounded by an army. They're going to crush us. And so he runs back to Elisha. Elisha, we're surrounded by an army. Elisha, I love this. Don't panic. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out the next morning, and the army and horses and chariots, they were armed to the teeth, surrounding the city. Oh, Lord, he said, what are we going to do? Don't be afraid, said the prophet. Those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And I wonder if there was a pause there. We don't get the privilege of being in the room, hey? But knowing that Elisha was an excellent teacher, and he wanted to teach this young servant that there are more with us than with them, and I can just see the servant's mind calculating. What? This town has got 525 people in it. That army is at least 1,000 strong. What is he talking about? And then he says, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around them. Hallelujah. So it sounds to me like Elisha has a good idea. One of the ways that we can ask to have our eyes open is to actually ask. It is to pray like Elisha did for his servant. And so I would suggest that if you haven't prayed that God opens your eyes recently, it's time. It's time. And I'll get to that in just a minute. Jesus walking along the, you know, this dust bowl and performing many miracles, well, he healed a man who was born blind from death in John chapter 9. It's a wonderful story. Make a great movie. This guy was blind from, de- from birth, and of course the disciples, being in Jewish, full Jewish custom, asked, who sinned, Father, or who sinned, Lord, that, uh, that this man was born blind? Was it his parents or was it him? And Jesus said, well, neither of them have sinned, but this has happened so that the work of God, the might of God, might be on display in his life. And so he does something very unusual. He takes some dust and he spits in it, makes some mud, puts it on the man's eyes and says, go wash in the, the pool of Siloam. And so the man hustles off and does so. And when he's finished, he goes home seeing. What a miracle. Right. Now the story gets interesting. I mean, that's interesting too, obviously. But it turns out that nobody recognized him after he got his eyesight back. And so he's wandering around trying to convince people, it's really me, folks. And like, well, you can't be the one. You're born, you were born blind. It's not you. It's somebody else. And he was like, no, I am the man. And they got into this kind of tussle about the whole thing. So they figured, like good Jewish people, they should take it to the Pharisees. So they went to court. And they brought the man to the Pharisees. And they began to pester him with questions about who it was that healed him. And that he would do it on the Sabbath. He must be a sinner. But the man said, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. But I know that once I was blind, now I can see. And they were all upset. They were all upset, preoccupied with the fact that he had broken one of their Sabbath rules to heal somebody. It's a weird story because, like, nobody recognizes the healing right in front of them. And so they figure, well, we can't figure this out. We still don't know who this fella is. And so they said, get his parents. So his parents come in the room. His parents show up. 
And they see what's going on. And of course, the Pharisees ask them to be witnesses. Is this your son, born blind? And they said, well, yeah, he's our son. How did it happen? Well, he's old enough to speak for himself. Let him speak for himself. And they completely distanced themselves from their son who was born blind but now could see. They walked away. He's old enough. Ask him. It says in the scripture that they did that because they were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue. Because the Pharisees have sent the word, anybody that believes that Jesus is the Messiah will be kicked out of synagogue. And so they were like, not us. We're not getting involved in that. How petty. Come on, mom and dad. This is your boy. Born blind to you. Eh? Hmm? No one would believe. And so they kept pestering with questions. If finally he said, okay, it's enough. He is a prophet. Well, that just threw them into all kinds of a tizzy. How could he be a prophet? Because he broke the Sabbath rules. How could he do that? He couldn't be from God. And again, on and on they go. They eventually ended up throwing insults at him and hurling him out of the room because he dared to stand up to them and say, I have no clue who this man is. He's a prophet. Otherwise, he couldn't have done this. How can you be so blind? Who are you to lecture us? You're born in sin. You were blind at birth. Get out of here. And they kicked him out. I love this part, though. This is where the story really comes together. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. This is John 9, 35. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? Tell me so I can believe in him. You see, that's the beauty of this story. The beauty is when Jesus did that with the mud, put it on his eyes and sent him to wash, he didn't know what Jesus looked like. He went to the pool, washed the mud off, could see. But Jesus was long gone by the time that happened. So he actually couldn't see. He didn't know who Jesus was, but he could see anyway. He could tell he was from God. So he was looking with some other set of eyes. He was seeing with the eyes of faith. He was seeing with the eyes of his heart. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Who is he so I can believe in him? Well, you've now seen him in flesh and blood. Here I am speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believed. And he fell to the ground and worshiped him. And then Jesus said this, remember, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they can see they are blind. Remember at the beginning of the story, Jesus said this was done so that the display of God's power could be seen. Well, the fact is, it wasn't so much about these eyes that were healed, it was the eyes of this man's heart that were healed. Both were equally important, sure, but at the end of the day, it's this heart you believe with, you see, you see the spiritual side, the heart believes. Even if you remain blind, you can still see him. Isn't that something? Well, where am I going with all of this? I believe there's a prayer that we can look at. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to turn there. This is one of my go-to prayers. It's a prayer that I use very often. I've prayed it hundreds of times in my life for myself, 
for my wife, for my family, for our church, for the churches I've been in. This is a long history, me in this prayer. It came about when I was searching because I didn't know what to pray. Have you ever been like that? Do you know what to pray all the time? Huh. Sometimes I need help. Well, I got to tell you, there is good news. The Bible is full of prayers you can steal. You can steal those prayers. You can turn them into your prayers. So for goodness sake, don't rip yourself off. Go after them. Learn them. Pray them. Meditate on them. Get into them. We're going to get into this prayer today. This prayer is one of those prayers you could pray every day and you would never go wrong by doing it. You could pray, oh God, oh God, help me with this. Look at this, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking. I like that. Here's a man who just would not stop. He kept asking. What did he keep asking? That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. So that, in order that, you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the mighty working of his strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but the one to come. Woo! Somebody say, woo! Yeah, that's a prayer. That is a prayer you can sink your teeth into spiritually speaking. It's got meat. It's got depth. It's got hope. It's got riches, treasures. It's got power. All that we need. All that we need. It's a full meal deal right here on the pages of God. A supernatural boost for your prayer life. Will you take it? Will you receive it? Well, let's dig into it a little, shall we? Let's chew it up a little. First of all, he says, for this reason. He's talking about the verses prior to that, where he backs up a dump truck, a rock truck from one of the mines, and dumps a load of deep theological truth. And he says, for this reason, I better start praying for you. <laughs> Otherwise, you, this is going to go whoo, over your heads. And I don't know about you, but I've read the Bible hundreds, if not thousands of times, and the passages go whoo. Anybody had their, have that happen to them? They just go, right. In fact, I think I lost some hair. It's so close sometimes. <laughs> For this reason, in order to understand, ever since I've heard of your faith and your love, two things that stand to test of time as a description of a saint, faith and love. Faith and love. So because I've heard of that and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Already we're into giving thanks. Sometimes I think we get right to complaining. We walk into the doors of the kingdom and say, Oh, God, help me with my wife. <laughs> Sorry. Do I, need to, do I need to hug that out? 
help me with my husband. We just walk right into his presence. And believe me, you're welcome there no matter what you bring. But why shouldn't we just stop first and give thanks? Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my husband. Thank you for my children, my wayward son, my super aggressive daughter. Thank you. Stop and give thanks. Give thanks. That's a good place to start any prayer. So let's keep going. I keep asking. I love that. This is one of those prayers that he just never stopped praying. I keep asking. I keep asking. I keep asking. Is that what your prayer life sounds like? But it's not because you're not get what, getting what you want. You know, sometimes we keep asking until we finally get what we want. It's keep asking because this is important. This is what I keep asking God for. This is what makes it all different. This is what gives us strength and power. This is what gives us hope. And so I will refuse to stop asking. And I challenge you today from the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit, never stop asking for these things. You can ask for other things too, of course, but never stop asking for these things. Why? Because it says that's what he did and that's in the Holy Spirit. So you have every right now as a child of God to come and say, I am going to keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Wisdom to understand. Wisdom to see what God is doing. Wisdom because in seeking for wisdom, we come to the fear of the Lord. We understand his dynamic. We understand his sovereignty. We understand he is another being. He is not like us. We have shadows of likeness of him, but he is certainly not like us. He is pure. He is holy. He is divine. He is all-powerful. He has wisdom for us so that we can figure out what it is he's trying to say, and revelation, because that goes together. If I want to figure out what he's trying to say, I need, to, I need it to be revealed to me. I need what he's saying to me to be revealed in the scripture. I don't know how many times in my life and how many times as a pastor I've had conversations with people that say, I've read the Bible. It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't help me. I stop and I read and I, my mind wanders to you know the groceries I need for the day. Or I read it once, and I read it again, and I know there's supposed to be something here, but I'm not getting it. It's like it's dry oatmeal. We used to play a game in youth group. It was called the whistling game. You had to eat a whole stack of crackers and then try and whistle. Anybody try and do that? Yeah. If you really want to complicate things, you throw in some Coke. That gets really messy really fast. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know where I was going with the Coke thing. But talk about dry. Sometimes I think the scriptures are dry because we haven't stopped and kept asking that God would give us wisdom and revelation so that we can, what? What's it say? Know him better. Anybody want to know God better? Anybody up for that? Well, here it is right here. What should you ask for? Wisdom and, come on, 
wisdom and revelation. Turn to your neighbor and say, wisdom and revelation. You guys didn't say anything to each other up there. Wisdom and revelation. See, I'm watching you up there. Joe, I can see you even though you're far in the back corner. Wisdom and revelation. Do you need that in your life? Come on. Do you need that in your life? Wisdom and revelation. Come on. We need it. And the only reason that he's giving right here is so that we can know him better. And I want to know him better. I want to know him. My heart is pursuing him. And I can't do that in my own strength. And I can't do it because I really want to. And I can't do it because I discipline myself to do it. I have to do it because he gives me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So for heaven's sake, put that number one on your list of things before you even crack the Bible open. And don't think just because you prayed it last Tuesday that it's good for Wednesday. I keep asking. Say that with me. I keep asking. That's how it happens. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. And Jesus said, you will find. Ah. All right. I pray also that the eyes of your heart. Who knew that every human being has two sets of eyes? They don't teach you that in biology at school. Nope. You know where you got to come to hear that? Church. You got to come to the scripture. That's where you find out that God has given every human being two sets of eyes. The ones in your head obviously, but also the ones in your heart. Not the one that beats. Come on. Are you with me? It's the one that he gives you that is from the Spirit. The eyes of your heart. Hmm. It's a beautiful phrase that I wanted to try and unpackage as best I could without getting too philosophical. But it's really hard to break it down unless you understand that what goes on in your heart. And when we think of heart and we talk about our hearts, what's there? What are, what's our heart doing? What, what do we describe our heart as? Well, it's got to be how we feel. Wouldn't you agree? Do you think God, in all his wisdom and how he created us, he said, I'm just going to use your brain when it comes to talking with me. No. He wants to use all of you. He wants to use your heart. That means he also wants, yes, your brain, but he wants you to know his presence and feel him. How does that sound to you? Does that sound right? I know I've grown up in a church where there's been a lot of cerebral stuff going on. Sunday school, memorizing scripture, Hearing the sermons, how many sermons have you heard? Whew. I've heard thousands of them. How many teachers? Thousands of teachers. Is it bad for me to do that? Of course not. But there's always those ones that somehow, I could express it, that they tug at your heart strings. You know what I mean? It's not that you don't understand it. It's not that you're not grasping the truth, the, the, the knowledge of what's being said. 
But somehow it sinks, like people say, that 16 inches, you know, that 12 inches, whatever it is, from the brain to the heart. They say things like that. Well, what are they talking about? It's actually that you experience it. You experience what it is you're believing. This is good news, folks. God has redeemed our feelings as much as he's redeemed our bodies. Now, we have to be careful, obviously, because feelings can what? Betray us. But so can our brains. So can our brains. In fact, you could even argue that sometimes your heart is right, your brain is wrong. Can you argue that way? And sometimes your brain is right, your heart is wrong. What we need is a coming together. And how do we do that? By praying that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened. How does, how does that happen? How does enlightenment happen? Through knowing something. Light goes on, right? That's what we say. We use that expression. The light just went on. You know, you see these guys. The light just went on. Everybody got it. Well, that's because it's not just their brains getting it. They're getting it. And what we need is we need to pray, oh God, not only do I need to know this stuff, have wisdom and revelation, but I need to be enlightened. I need to, I need to have my heart open, my eyes to see. Did you notice the blind man? What was his first response? He didn't say down, sit down and say, well, let's see now. God is, well, he's a healer. And uh, I knew that. I knew that really well because I've heard that since I was a kid. God is a healer. And, uh, and that's good. Very good. He didn't do that. As soon as he realized it was Jesus, what did he do? He fell to his knees or to the ground and worshipped him. Now, it's not wrong for us to figure out the theological stuff. That's fun. Just spend an hour with Pastor Alex. You'll figure that out. It's fun. Okay? But it's also fun to have him touch your heart in such a way that you cannot say anything. You just fall to the ground and worship. Wouldn't that be something if in the, prayer, in the ministry of the, of the worship in the morning, you started singing a song, everybody just fell to the ground and just laid there. Oh, this is good. I'm not moving. Because the worship is so sweet. Something about worship that gets us past the cerebral, right? We're singing, yes, we're singing truth, absolutely. We don't want to sing falsehood, of course not. But when we're singing, what's going on? We're being touched emotionally. Right? Even someone as cerebral as, as Davin, where is he at? Davin's here. He's a, he's a brainiac. The guy is smart. He's a theologian. He loves to discuss theology. But when he gets that guitar in his hand, does he sound like a theologian? <laughs> Depending on what you mean by that. There's something in it. Saul was being troubled by demons, and David would take his harp and play it. And suddenly Saul was relaxed. Why? Because he was thinking to himself, well, God must be in the instrument. When David plays it, it must be anointed, so therefore I must be feeling something. No. He didn't go through his brain. He went directly to his heart. 
So guys, gals, ladies, gentlemen, when we see this on the pages of Scripture, that we pray for God to open the eyes of our heart, we need to pray that as often, as often as we can. Would you agree? Because when we pray that, he says here, in order that, or so that, I pray your heart, the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you may know the hope. Oh, does this world need hope? Oh, does this room need hope? Oh, do you sitting in these pews need hope and me standing up here preaching need hope? We need hope. We, know, we don't just need to know we're going to heaven. We need to feel like there's hope. Would you agree? I know I'm going to heaven, but I don't always feel that way. And he says, I want you to have your eyes open so that when you put your head on the pillow at night, you don't rehearse in your brain all the losses, all the tragedies, all the conflicts, all the misery, all the trouble, all the sin. Instead of having that going through your mind, instead of that, you have hope and you feel it and you fall asleep to it. Hallelujah. I can shout louder than Micah. You have it. You have hope. And it's not something that says, why do you have such hope? And you can't say, well, it's because I memorized the verse that says I have hope. Of course you memorized the verse you have hope. But it's not because of that you have hope. It's because you feel that God has given you hope. That you know it. So it puts a little spring in your step. Just a little one. Just a little one for those of you who are kind of sour. Just a little one. Not too much. Not too much hope. Are you kidding me? So much hope. Listen to some passages that I found about hope. If I can find them here. 1 Peter 1. He has given you new birth into a living hope. Ooh. That sounds good. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's living hope. Wow. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Of course it's in heaven for you, but what about right now? Well, those who put their hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Do you need more strength? Put your hope there. Get your hope back in line. Put your heart back in line. Oh God, open the eyes of my heart so that I may have hope. In the midst of all of my struggles. This is good stuff. Are you with me so far? This is a prayer worth praying. Wouldn't you agree? All right, let's keep going. Even if you don't agree, it's still worth praying. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, I love it because it talks about riches. And that's an interesting word. And it, it's, it's with glorious inheritance. And it's for now. It's a thing that you get to have now with the saints. We together are a glorious inheritance of God, but we also have a glorious inheritance from God. And this inheritance, you know, I tried to think, well, how can I explain this? It's a little bit like if you have a parent who passes away and you go to the reading of the will. Anybody ever had that happen? Where you've gone to the reading of the will? Okay. And you get there and Josh gets a brand new car. Larissa gets a brand new house. And I get dad's old books down in the basement. How do you feel? A little bit what? Ripped off. You see, when you go to the reading of the will, it's always fascinating. Because it's like live entertainment. Right? Why? 
because it's an energy-charged room. And people are wanting to know, what did I inherit? Now, does that describe your conduct, your desire, your passion for your inheritance? Does it? Hello? You see, that's coming because when you pray that the eyes of your heart are open, not only do you get hope, hallelujah, you get hope, but your eyes are open and you get to know the inheritance that you've been given from Almighty God. So what is your inheritance? Let's walk through. Let's make a list. Just shout out. What is your inheritance? What do you get? Eternal life. Okay, that's it. Let's go home. What do you get? Forgiveness. What else? Come on. What? Joy everlasting. What else? Healing. What? Grace, somebody said. Yeah. What else do you get? Access to the throne. Hallelujah. A perfected body. Crowns. Woo. What are what? Power and strength. Friends forever. Everlasting love. Hey? Peace. Does your inheritance sound pretty good? Listen, folks, this is scratching the surface. All the things we just mentioned is scratching the surface of your inheritance. How well do you know these things? How well have you gone down investigating them? What exactly did I get? You go down to the basement, and you crack open one of those old dusty boxes, and there are treasures of ancient books in the box. How do you feel now? Who wants a car? Who wants a house? Look at this. Do you see what I mean? When you begin to unpackage, when you begin to search, when you begin to look, when you begin to go after it is, whatever it is God has given to you through your inheritance, all the things we listed and more, peace, love, joy, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, under the rest, compassion, a God who loves you. Somebody said that. I like that. Strength and power. How well do you know your inheritance? How well? How well do you live based on your inheritance? How do you connect those dots? Are you connecting those dots? Because this is what this prayer is all about, connecting those dots. Oh, Lord, open the eyes of my heart so I can know my inheritance, and it's rich, and it's glorious. He had to throw those two wonderful words in there as adjectives to describe what he got in the inheritance. Are those adjectives or adverbs? I don't know. I can't remember. It's all good. All right, so we get hope, we get riches in our inheritance in the saints, and then finally, he, gives, he says, incomparably great power. What is that? Well, is there something you can compare it to? <laughs> well, I guess if it says it's incomparable, that means there is nothing to compare it to. Do you realize that power, that same power, dwells within you and me? You see, I think it's unusual. He mentions hope, and he mentions, you know, riches and inheritance. But then, when he says power, he goes into this tirade of power. 
He explains it. He unpackages this power. Look what it says. Just in case you don't get it, the power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all authority, rule, power, dominion, everything that has a title, everything that has a name in this present age and the age to come. Oh, you walk around with this inside of you. By his great strength and by his great power, may the eyes of our heart be opened to see what it is he's put into us. I'm still, I'm still staggering. Like, what does all this mean? Where do I go to understand this? Now, I want you to flip over the page. Okay, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3. All right, Ephesians chapter 3. Are you, are you got it there? Now, this will help us. Okay, this, this is another prayer, by the way. If you, if you get uh, tired of Ephesians chapter 1, then you can flip to Ephesians chapter 3 and fill in some more blanks. Okay, so you can add this to your prayer list. Here we go. Are you ready? 3.14. For this reason, again, all the good stuff that came before. I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So he's going on about this power again, isn't he? So he's praying that God would strengthen us in the inner being so that we could, that, so that we may, uh, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. So this isn't just for you. This is a gift to all the saints. What? What's all that power for? Come on. What's all the power for? According to this prayer, what's it say? To grasp, to comprehend, to understand what? How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? You can't use this You've got to use this. Are you with me? In other words, oh, this is good stuff, rich stuff. This, this, I was whistling Dixie when I read this. I'll tell you, I, I want God to open not just my heart like this. I want him to open your heart like this so that you go after the power of God, not because you need help with a struggle of sin. Sure, of course. But because you need to grasp, you need to comprehend how deep, how wide, how long, how high is the love of Christ for you. If you know that, then all the other stuff, all the other things will fall into place. But you've got to know that. In fact, I would reckon to say I have wasted more time in my spiritual life because I have faltered in my belief that Jesus loves me thoroughly, wholly, wonderfully, sacrificially. He loves me. He loves me. Say that with me. He loves Don't you find it just a little strange that Paul would ask that the eyes of our heart would be opened so that we could have power, incomparably great power, so that we could grasp 
so that we could comprehend love. What does it tell you about that love? What does it tell you about the love? (laughs) You think it's important. I know I've wasted too much of my life. Somehow, maybe not outright, but maybe in the back of my mind somewhere, thinking God doesn't love me as much as he says he does. Anybody there? Or maybe God loves me, I know, because, you know, he loves the world, right? Hello? But how much does he love me? And if you try to go there with just your brain, you'll get a certain distance because you'll figure out, okay, he loved me enough that he would send his son to die for me as a sacrificial sacrifice. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. And I can know that until I drop into the grave. But I got to have it so that it gets past my knowledge and sinks deep into my heart so that I live every day knowing in my heart he loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. It goes in through our brain, but it blows up our hearts. And when we live out of that place, that is where the power of God is pulsating. Thump, 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 thump. Thump, thump, because we are actively, passionately knowing his love. We can now turn and love others the way we should. The evidence of not having this is how we treat others. It's there. Jesus would say that frequently. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love neighbors as You love yourself. Where do you get that self-love from? By telling yourself you're amazing and lying to yourself? Well, you have some amazement, that's true. No, it's because the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to comprehend His great love for you. So, do you feel like you could pray that way? (laughs) If you get lost... Crack open Ephesians, start at Ephesians 1, and just start praying it for yourself. And you know, personalize it. You know how to do that, right? So how would you do that? So it would start out by saying what? Let's just do uh, the eyes of your heart. So, Lord, open the eyes of my heart so that they can be enlightened, so that I can know my hope, which is in you. And I can know the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. And I can know your incomparably great power. Because I believe. You can do that, can't you? That's a great way to pray. And keep praying it until you actually start to practice it. Don't stop. Like he said, I always ask. I keep on asking. 
Don't stop. Don't stop. And if you get stuck on that power thing, flip over to Ephesians 3 and start thanking him for the fact that the love that he has surpasses your knowledge. But you can still know it. Amen? Amen. So enjoy this prayer. Pray it for you. Pray it for your family. Pray it for your husband, your wife. Pray it for your mom, your dad. Pray it over your kids for sure. Pray it over their kids if they have any. Or even pray it over the ones that are supposed to come. Pray. Be encouraged. Don't feel like you can't, oh, I don't know what to say when I pray. Uh, my, brain, my mind goes blank. Excellent. Start there and read that. Okay. I'm going to close. It's time to close. Come on up. Yeah. Um, how do you finish a sermon like this? I think we have to. I think we, we can't just walk out of here like, well, that was a nice message. I think we need to actually start to practice this. So start. Open your Bibles. We're going to finish church by opening up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to start to pray. You just right there, you know, one of my favorite old shows was Maxwell Smart. Remember the dome of silence that would come down from the roof? It never worked. Well, just pretend it's you. It's just you and him in the dome of silence. Just you and him. Just take some time. They're going to they're gonna lead us in a song, but I would suggest that you just let them sing. Their, their voices and their guitars and everything will, will just soothe us. Let them sing. You remain in a position of prayer. Is that okay? Do we have to sing with you?